0: Give Mao one announcement, but there's an exciting thing coming up next Saturday morning that we as a church are partnering with our community. And um, I was really blessed last week. Did anyone miss me last week? Notice I wasn't here? (laughs) Yeah, probably didn't. I heard it was pretty amazing, and Dave preached a great message. Um, But uh, I went to this church in Barossa Valley to share about community and how to engage your community because people are beginning to hear about what we're doing here on the peninsula, and they want to know how we did it and what we're doing. And so I was, had the privilege to talk to this church, and one of, the thing I, one of the things I talked about was the importance of building relationships, that God moves and operates in relationship, and He, he works through our relationships uh, with each other and with Him, and um, not just within church, but also our relationships outside of church. And so one of the things that we're doing next Saturday is we're partnering with our community. Uh, there's the RSL, another church, Uniting Church, us, Uniting, uh, Uniting SA, the Smith family, and the Port Adelaide Enfield Council, and we're putting on a family expo. And the idea of it is that w- there's a lot of families doing it tough on the peninsula, and we want them to know about what services are available to them and that how we can support them and get around them. So we'll be telling them about pop-up and youth and kids' club and gig and all the things that we provide. And uh, we've been asked to provide the barbecue and the coffee. that sound pretty cool? That's what we're doing. So we're going to take the coffee machine out there, and, and uh, we're doing a sausage sizzle. It starts at 10, finishes at 2. But what I'm saying is if you're free that Saturday morning, it would be great if you could come along and support it. But even if you're free and you can help, please come and see me. And um, I'd love to get you involved in cooking the barbecue or Benito would love to teach you how to make coffees or whatever else. Um, But we'd love to get you a a part of it. But isn't it exciting that we as a church can be a part of that, that we're out in our community. Remember, a church without walls, a church out and amongst it. So um, pray for it as well if you can't come. But let's pray. And then we'll get straight into God's word today. Lord God, thank you for your word. We thank you for your church and we thank you for all that you are doing within our church and our community. And I just pray that even as we come today and share around your word, that you would speak to us. That you would open our eyes to what you would want to say to us. That you would help us hear the words that you would want us to hear. God, help us to see and listen. And not just see and listen but also to put it into practice. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's been enjoying the series on grace and truth? Yes, it's pretty cool. Remember our scripture? And just for Jack's sake, it's actually correct today. It's uh, been not right for the last few weeks and he's been telling me off. So I've corrected it. But it says there, the word became a human and lived among us, talking about Jesus. He saw, we saw his glory, the glory that belongs to the only Son of the Father. And he was full of grace and truth. Because he was full of grace and truth, from him we all received one gift after another. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the only Son is very close to the Father And he has shown us what God is like. Over the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about grace. Um, I've talked about it, David talked about it last week, and it's been great. It's been fantastic to remind ourselves of how significant grace is. But today, I want to look at truth. Damien shared about it a few weeks ago, and I want to just take us a little bit deeper into what truth is all about. Now, when we planted this church, the phrase that would go around often was the phrase that we were living in a post-christian age. So if you understand what that means is before from the 50s and back everyone or most people went to church. Most people understood church. Sundays the church was the hub of the community. It's where everyone met, where everyone went. And so they they gathered gathered at church, they learned about Jesus. So most people knew about Jesus and knew what he was all about. But from about the 60s onwards, there became this movement away from the church where we became much more secular as a society. And so in the early 2000s, they started to talk about the fact that we lived in a post-Christian age, an age where people didn't grow up learning about Jesus, where people didn't grow up going to church. Church wasn't the most important thing. And numbers in attendance at church dropped significantly. So you could actually meet people in schools and in church, or not in church, in the community, and you talk to them about Jesus and they go, who's Jesus? And that was the concept of the post-Christian age. But today they tell us that the post-Christian age has actually been overtaken by the post-truth age. In the last 10 years, this saying, post-truth, has become very prevalent. Now, post-truth, the... The definition of post-truth is relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So what's that mean? Objective facts are less less influential in shaping public opinion then appeals to emotion and personal belief. So what it's basically saying is that people don't care if you're telling them the truth and whether you can prove it, they much prefer to live with what they feel and think they know and how they believe things to be. Now, Damien went into this in great detail a few weeks ago, and I don't want to rehash that whole thinking, but the, the thing that I... I do want to focus on about this post-truth generation, this idea that we will allow our feelings and our emotions and, and what presses our buttons to, to drive the way we do things. The thing that I want us to remind us of is the fact that the phenomenon that allows this to occur is this idea of spin. Has anyone heard of Spin. This is uh, something that has become very prevalent over the last 40 or so years. Since television came in and advertisers learnt the power of spinning things to our own advantage and spinning things in such a way that it would help bring other people around to our way of thinking, that people have used this idea of spinning ideas to reach their own conclusions about things. Now, I really think it's become even more prevalent because of television and advertising everywhere that if we can press the right emotional buttons in people, then they'll buy more of the stuff we want them to buy. Isn't that right? I was watching something the other day and uh, I was just sitting there watching it and it was just interesting as an ad came up on telly about food and I'm on a fast at the moment for the next 40, for that 40-day prayer period, and um, food looks so good. It looks so, and it seemed like every ad was about food, but it made me want to have it. And it was spun in such a way that it made it look like that sort of food was actually really good for me to have, even though I knew it was very unhealthy for me to have. And so we live in a time now, especially with social media, where we live in a time of spin on steroids, Everyone has learnt the power of spinning things, and the result is that we live in a society that does everything that they feel right is in their own eyes. That they, they, in other words, what they, what I'm saying is that they'll do what suits their own needs. That they'll do that they'll spin things and make it sound like it's okay because it suits what they want to do. Now, in reality. Let's be honest, this has been happening since the beginning of time. Look back to the creation story and there was a serpent that was spinning an idea to Adam and Eve on why God was hiding stuff from them and saying to, to them that, hey, God doesn't want you to eat of that apple because if you do, you're going to be like him and he doesn't want that. And so this idea of spinning things to, uh, to someone's advantage has been within society forever Now, fast forward to when Jesus walked the earth and people were using truth that they had received to serve their own purposes, especially the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And so when John says Jesus has come in truth, what is he actually talking about? Now, Damien shared this, and the Greek word for truth is aletheia. Now, what that translates as, is unclosedness or unconcealedness, disclosure or truth. The literal meaning of the word aletheia is the state of not being hidden, the state of being evident. Aletheia is that which is seen or expressed as it really is. Or in other words, what it's saying is something that, was, that couldn't be clearly seen now can be clearly seen. So, think of our scripture in 1 John, and Jesus says, I've, or John says about Jesus that he has come in grace and truth, or full of grace and truth. And then the last part of the passage says that when we've seen Jesus, we've seen what God is like. So, the idea here of truth is this idea that nothing is hidden anymore about God. That in Jesus we are seeing God in all his fullness. Now, I'm going to take you on a bit of a history lesson here to help you understand this. Because up until this time, the Jewish people, the children of God, had seen glimpses of God. If you go back to their history, it it involved people that had heard from God. People like Abraham had heard from God and they'd gotten a bit of a, a picture of God. And so they made a faith step to believe in him. And then you had a guy called Moses come on the scene. And Moses led the people of Israel out of captivity and uh, led them into the wilderness. And it's really interesting, in the wilderness, God wanted to reveal himself to all of Israel. But the people got scared and they said, no, Moses, it's too scary for us. So you go see God and we'll come back and tell us what he's like. And out of that, we get this idea of the law and sacrificial system that God implemented with Moses, which gave them a glimpse of God. It gave them a glimpse of God's heart. That, that God wanted to bring reconciliation and restoration between Him, man, and God. That this whole sacrificial system was to show them that, that this is what God wanted. Within all these sacrifices and rules and regulations, it was a, an idea for them to know God wanted to have a relationship with him, but because he was holy, It had to be in this form, which ended up being really difficult because none of them could really maintain it. And throughout Jewish history, there's also this idea, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, of a kinsman redeemer. Anyone heard of that saying? The kinsman redeemer were people like Moses, a man, one of mankind, who came to bring Israel out of captivity from Egypt into the Promised Land. There were other kinsmen redeemers like Gideon. There were even women kinsmen redeemers like Deborah who led Israel out of captivity into God's promises. The King David was another like that. Now these you have to understand that this idea of a kinsman redeemer was a picture for them or a type of what God had promised that one day a Messiah would come who would save them and rescue them for good that they would be rescued forever. And so it was a promise in, in these men, and they were only men, There it was a promise that one day God would come as a man and he would save them forever. So this is the, the, the culture that Jesus comes into and, and John declares that he comes full of grace and truth. And so all their lives, the Jewish people had gotten glimpses into what God was like. They'd seen him as their redeemer and they'd seen him as their provider in the wilderness who provided manna and, and uh, fire by night. And they saw him as, as uh, one who wanted relationship through this sacrificial law system. And The sad thing about the children of Israel, and you read it throughout the Old Testament, is the religious leaders of, children, of the children of Israel continually spun the truth to their own advantage. And often God would get angry at them because the religious leaders would say, you know, you need to do this and do that and do this. And they were spinning it so they could get what they could out of the whole system. And so all of a sudden, this thing that God had given them, like the law, and had given them to show them he wanted relationship, the the leaders had turned it into something that had become a huge weight and burden to them that they could never fulfill. And then we come to John 1, and John makes it very clear to us. Jesus is full of the truth. He is the final mass manifestation of the hidden reality of God. In other words, he is the one to whom all of the Old Testament pointed. In Jesus, we see God in all his fullness, as it says in John 2, nine. Or not, not John Colossians two nine, that we read this week. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now this is incredible, because God is no longer hidden. He's no longer hidden in a sacrificial system or the law or or any other thing. He's no longer hiding, but he has actually come to us in flesh and blood, which is incredible in itself. That. God's going, I want to show you what I'm like, but I know you can't see me in all my glory and all all my. Because, you know, the Jews knew that if they saw God, they would die because his glory would be too great for them. So he goes, Well, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to package me in a man. I'm going to become me. I'm going to take on your form. So you have no excuse to say, What is God like? Because in Jesus, we see everything about what what God is like. And this is the truth that Jesus comes to give us. This is the amazing truth that if you want to use it in modern terms, does anyone like watching TV here? Have you heard of the fourth wall? That moment in television when you're watching something and all of a sudden the actor will turn to the camera and start talking to it to explain what is going on. Have you ever experienced anything like that? They call it breaking the fourth wall. And so what God is doing here, he's breaking the wall, the fourth wall between us and him. And he's going, you, you thought it's all about this, what's happening in the show, but I'm changing it and I'm talking directly to you through Jesus and telling you what it is really like or what I am really like. This is the incredible thing that God has shown us. He's shown us his true self, not, not some ethereal, far off, uncomprehensible thing, but something we can touch and see in Jesus, in a man. I don't know if you can grasp this. This is incredible. This is amazing what Jesus is saying, that I am the truth. This word aletheia is the same word that he uses when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's the same word. He is the revelation of God in all his fullness. So God became one of us. And in becoming one of us, he shows us grace. He he shows us his love. He shows us, he rescues us out of our situation. But in doing so, we need to understand that he is also showing us who he fully is. And as he shows us who he fully is, this is the truth that he shows us. That nothing of God is hidden anymore. But everything we need to know about God is, is found in Jesus. This is the truth. This is the truth he wants us to understand, that God is no longer hidden. He's no longer this obscure thing that we have to work out and think about and try to study and and read thousands of books because in Jesus he has shown us everything that he is. That's when when it says that he is full of grace and truth. This is the truth, that he is the full manifestation of God in the flesh. So what is truth? Truth is simply showing things as they really are. That's what God was doing, does through Jesus. He shows us who he really is. And this truth leads us to what is real. This truth leads us to where nothing is hidden. Just as Jesus revealed the truth about who god really is it makes sense then that when we encounter this god when we encounter jesus that we discover the truth about ourselves and not just the truth about ourselves but the truth about the world we live in this kind of truth is a spin free zone this kind of truth is where nothing is hidden there are no masks there's there's no trying to get things to your own advantage or to your own needs and purposes. It's all, there's no exaggeration because this kind of truth in the context of John 1 explains to us that truth is honesty. Truth is honesty. God is not hiding anything. He is totally honest and available to us in Jesus. Truth is all about honesty. I want to share with you a Illustration of this in Mark 11 is the story where Jesus curses the fig tree. It says there, Then the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Why did Jesus react so strongly to a fruitless tree? Now, you know, in my thinking, when I read that, I think that's a bit unfair, Jesus. Like, it's not even the season for figs, and you're expecting there to be figs. Why are you reacting so strongly to this poor old fig tree? Now, some scholars go into the idea that the fig tree is a symbol of Israel, and that Israel is an unfruitful tree, and so God no longer blesses it. And so that's their picture. But I feel like there's something, there's got to be something more to it because everything Jesus did was to reveal the heart of God. And and so as I, I was thinking about it and reading it and talking to different people, the thing that became aware to me is that Jesus is reacting to something much deeper. Now, our passage says that the fig tree was in leaf. Now it's common knowledge. I like doing a bit of gardening have a few few fruit trees at home that when a tree is in leaf and full leaf that you should expect fruit to be on it when it's not in leaf when it, you know in the autumn and the leaves fall off and it's not you know that I'm not going to get fruit from this tree so i believe the problem was that the tree looked like it should have had fruit on it but when Jesus came closer and on closer inspection of the tree, he discovered that it was not what it made out it was. In other words, it was a fake. It was a fake fruit tree because the leaves should have shown, yes, it's in in, in fruit. And so when Jesus came, even though it's not the season, Jesus came expecting and it didn't give him what he expected it to be. In other words, it wasn't what it professed to be. For all intents and purposes, it looked like it should have had fruit, but in reality, it was fruitless. Now, I think this is a really important picture for us to consider because in our society today, people love to wear masks. People love to put on fronts. People love to look one way, but when you actually find out more about them, you discover that it's all just a front. Anyone experience that? Anyone live through that? I won't ask you to put your hand up. But the reality is, especially you go to an Instagram account, someone's life looks so amazing. But on closer inspection, their life isn't that amazing. It's fake. We've learned really well how to put on fronts, how to look like we got it all together, how to look like I'm successful, I'm doing this. You know, we might put ourselves up to the eyeballs in debt to buy a new car just so we look like gee they're successful look what they've got but you don't know that they're in their eyeballs to debt and that with one little change that everything could fall apart for them and this is the thing about God though God is not like that at all is what you see is what you get he's shown us who he is like in Jesus that's the truth Uh, I've brought my banana up here not because I'm going to get hungry halfway through my preach and need some energy, but I've told you what it is, but you all know what this is, don't you? Now, do you expect to know what is going to be on the inside when I open it? Do you reckon? Who, who reckons there is a banana? What, what do you see inside this? What's what's a banana look like? White. Who Put your hand up if you think there's going to be a white banana on the inside of this. Oh, some doubters here. Some, some of you think I've been up to no good, spinning things, and I've somehow substituted a banana or something else other than a banana in here. Who says? Who thinks that? Who think? Yes, yes, Eric. Yes. Now you can come up and inspect it. There is no breaks in this banana. It is fully joined. It is as God created it to be. What you see. Is what you get. This is how God, this is what Benito's wanted this all morning, so I'm gonna <laughs> give it to him. What you see is what you get. This is what God does with his creation. If you see a fig tree, you expect figs. If you see an apple tree, you expect it to have apples. It's how God has designed it into his creation that what you see is what you get. This is the, the reality is if I had a watermelon here and cut it open, you would see watermelon inside it. God doesn't tell lies. He doesn't make fakes. He's, and this is the, the issue is sin in the world has caused man to stray from what it was originally created to be. That we have become fakes because of sin rather than children of God, we've tried to stir up within us the ability to say, Look, I'm okay, I've got it all together, I'm okay, I'm doing all right, I'm successful, I'm this and that. Look on me look at me on the outside. But on the inside we're struggling. We're finding it difficult. We're we're not doing it as we should be. And we're we're going we're we're dying on the inside. Jesus said this in his time especially of religious leaders of his day. Do you remember what he called them? He called them hypocrites he, because they didn't do what they taught but he also called them whitewashed tombs because they looked fantastic like going to a, a graveyard in those days you'd see this tomb and it would look amazing because only rich people could have them and they'd be all ornate and whatever but on the inside it just had a dead person and he would say that's what you're like you look great on the outside, you're wearing all the right clothes, you've got the right makeup, you've got the right hairstyle, you look like, you know, dressed to succeed as the world tells us, you know, dress as if you're doing great and you will do great. It's a lie. It's, it's not honest. It's not real. It's really interesting. If you read Mark 11 and you read the very next thing Jesus did, do you know what he did? He went into the temple and turned over the tables. Why did he do that? Because the religious leaders of his day were, were turning his father's house of prayer into a den of thieves. You know what they were doing? They were getting birds like doves and little animals. And for people who couldn't get them themselves, they would, they'd come to the temple and they'd sell them turtle doves and different things so they could make sacrifices. But they would sell them at exorbitant rates. So they were making a profit for themselves. Sound familiar? I, I, I get on this hobby horse, but I look at the church across the board and they're just continually trying to sell you something for their own benefit. Oh, this will, you know, have our latest worship CD. It's charged at some ridiculous price. But, you know, what God's given us, we're charging you for. And it just bugs me because what God has given us is sacred, we try to make a profit out of. How can that be right? That's falsehood. That's not honesty. That's not real. That's not who God created us to be. The thing that I love about Jesus, and he's, remember, he's showing us the full expression of who God is. He's showing us everything that God is. This is so. Who is God? God is the person that, when He comes to Earth, He doesn't hang ar- around in the temple and with all the religious blokes. He hangs around with sinners, and tax collectors, and prostitutes, and lepers, and the sick and the needy. What's God like? is that's God. Why does God like to hang around these sorts of people? Because isn't he holy? My thought is because they're honest. They're not trying to hide who they are. We talked about Zacchaeus a couple of weeks ago. He was a tax collector. He was honest with Jesus. When the prostitute came and washed his feet, everyone knew who she was. There was no hiding Hey, I'm not a prostitute. I'm actually a you know, good, respectable citizen of whatever. No, they all knew. But Jesus loved to be around them. And I believe it's because you got what you saw. There was nothing hidden. It was open and honest. What you see is what you get. And that's the kind of truth God is looking for. The kind of honest and real truth, this kind of honest and real truth is powerful because truth is humility. We've been reading Philippians and Colossians. It's been amazing doing this 40 days with some good readings, some really good stuff we've been reading. And in Philippians, it tells us that Jesus, God, humbled himself and became human. And as he humbled himself, he gave us an example to follow that would lead us to His grace. Now, I've talked about humility a lot here at church. And humility is, comes from the Latin word hummus. Everyone remember what it means? It means dirt. And dirt, what it is, the idea of it, it, the dirt is the earth that God created us from and He breathed life into the dirt and it created mankind. And the idea of humility is that we are grounded. A humble person is a grounded person. In other words, a grounded person is someone who knows where I came from. Knows where I come from. Thank you. (laughs) A grounded person is a humble person because they remember their, their roots and where they have come from. They're not too big for their boots. So when we are humble, we're being honest and truthful. We're being honest about who we really are. Just like those tax collectors and prostitutes, they are being honest about who they really are and God gave them his presence. When we acknowledge this truth, the Bible teaches us that it's a truth that will set us free. That scripture that says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, you know what that truth is? It's aletheia. You will know the hidden reality of God the true revelation of God, nothing with God is hidden. And when you know that revelation, it will set you free. Now, this, uh, the example I think of, and it's great to have Bill here because he's worked in this for years, and you can talk to him about it, but is the idea of Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyone ever been to Alcoholics Anonymous? Don't be shy. <laughs> it's all right. I've been, not because I was an alcoholic, but to support someone. But uh, it's really cool. Because the the idea of Alcoholics Anonymous is it's a 12-step program. But the first step, this is the first step. The first step is to humble yourself and admit that you are powerless to help yourself and your life is a mess. That's the first step. The first step to change is to say, I've got a problem. That's humility. That's truth. That's honesty. And, And this is the great thing is that they continually remind themselves of where they have come from. Because if you stand up to say something in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you say, hi, my name's Ben, and I'm an alcoholic. To remind yourself that you have always, like there's that reminder to ground you in the fact that without help, this is where I would be. Without the help of you, and, and they talk about a higher power, the help of God, and others and the support, this is, that's where I'd be. They're continually grounded and humble. I think, I think this is so critical and so vital. I think it's a great lesson for us as the church that we would stay grounded to the fact that without Jesus and what he has done for me, I am a sinner. If you'd read just readings this week in Philippians, Paul described himself as the greatest of sinners. And the amazing thing that he said is, I've got all this knowledge. I know the law back to front. I started studying it when I was just a boy. I've done everything. I know it all. He literally said, I know it all. But at the end of that, he goes, I know that I'm the greatest of sinners as well. And that what matters more is that I would know Christ. And that is the most important thing to know. To know the truth. In other words, to know Jesus God revealed in the flesh. God revealed to us in his fullness and every aspect of God for us to understand. This is what Paul is saying. Now, there's another passage that Paul talks about in Corinthians. Most of you would know this, but he says this amazing amazing thing. He says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do, but do the things that I shouldn't do? Anyone relate to that? Why do I do the things that I don't want to do, but do the things that I shouldn't do? This is Paul. This is an apostle of God, being transparent and honest and humble and saying, I struggle. And he says that he prayed to God three times to remove this thing from him. And then God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in Your weakness. Your weakness. You know what they say, we talk about losing your first love. You know what they say the reason we lose our first love? It's because we lose our daily need for God. That we become so proficient in doing Christianity that we think, I can do this on my own. We must stay grounded to where we've come from we must stay and this is Paul a leader of the church now that challenges me because in church circles you often go to conferences and stuff and they tell you um, don't let the church know your weaknesses because they won't want to follow you if they think you're weak or you're not up to it you've got to look good you've got to look the part you've got to you know, dress for success type of attitude can I tell you something I'm as human as you guys I want to tell you a story about me last year. During COVID, I had a really difficult time. My anxiety went through the roof, and I was struggling. I was really struggling with anxiety, worrying about stuff. And I would wake up in the middle of the night, cold sweats, heart beating, all of that stuff. And being honest, I was too proud to talk to anyone about it, probably just Julie was the only person I talked about it. Then God, in his amazing grace, gives me a dream one night. I wake up from the dream and I said to Julie, I need to go to talk to someone. I need to get help. So I, I went to see my GP and, I, and he booked me in to see a psychologist, being honest and vulnerable and true. he you go, well, you're a pastor, you shouldn't need a psychologist. Well, if, if I had a heart problem, you'd have no problem with me going to a cardiologist, would you? So if I've got a mind problem, who do I go see? Does that make sense? This is, let's, let's be real and honest and humble enough to say, I need help. This is the humility that brings God's grace to our life. Can you imagine what our church would be like if we actually were honest and humble enough to stand up and talk to each other and say, hey, my name's Ben and I'm a sinner. But by the grace of God, I've managed to not do what I shouldn't do this week. And because of your help and your support in understanding we're all the same other than by the grace of God, isn't that what the church should be like? Where we could be honest and and humble enough to tell the truth if we're struggling, if we're finding it hard. Here's the exciting thing, and I'll come to a close. It says in James 4.6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, the interesting thing about this scripture, I'll, you can read it for yourself later, that the next part of it, it says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What, who are we resisting? The devil. What do we know about the devil? That he is the father of lies. Isn't that right? In other words, he is the king of spin. It's not Shane Warne. It's the devil. Shane Warne's just a little bit below. Don't, don't take that off the tape. I didn't say that. The reality is the devil is the king of spin, he's the father of lives. He is the one who encourages us to hide our true selves from God and to those around us. When you get those thoughts in your mind, I need to run away, I need to hide this. Resist those thoughts because that's the enemy. He doesn't want you to be open and honest and vulnerable. Why? Because he knows when we're honest and humble, what does the Bible tell us? God gives us grace. God, so what? he doesn't want you to have God's grace. He doesn't want you to live in truth. So he'll spin lies to you or oh, they won't understand. They'll reject you. They'll judge you. If they hear about that, they're going to kick you out of the church. But God says, if you humble yourself, if you're honest, he will give you his grace, his favour. If we are truthful as he has been truthful with us and revealed to us who he really is in Jesus, then if we open our hearts and reveal who we really are, his grace will flood our lives fill us. He is, God's example makes it clear that we must resist this desire to hide. Church, it's time to practice the truth and don't be deceived that it's about rules and regulation. The truth is all about being humble and honest enough to say, I need God's help to get me out of this mess I'm in. When we do this It's only then that we will really experience God's grace and truth in our lives. Let's pray. As we pray, I know there's probably 101 things going through your mind right now. There's a lot I gave you. But I just encourage you to consider taking that first step of being honest and humble enough to say, God, I'm not going to live a lie any longer. I'm not going to try to put on a mask and a front to make everyone think I'm all right, but I'm going to actually be honest and humble enough to say, I need help. I need your help and support to those around me. So as I pray, I'd ask you to pray that for yourselves, simply enough to say, God, I need your help. I'm sick of living a lie or trying to be something I'm not. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your truth. That amazing, honest and humble truth that you would become a man to show us exactly what you were like. and You didn't come to condemn, but you came to rescue and save. God, as you were honest and humble with us, God, help us to be honest and humble with you and with each other. Let's not try to be something we're not, but let us be real and honest about who we are and our need for you. That it's only because of what you have done that we are anything of significance. You're the one who gives us our value and our worth. You're the one who shows us who we truly can be and help us stay grounded to the fact that without you, we're just dirt. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Why don't we just stand to our feet and let's thank God for his word and for his truth, the very fact that God is with us That God wants to reveal Himself to us. Why don't we thank Him for that? Why don't you praise Him and give Him a, a hand clap and a worship and a praise. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for who you are. We praise your awesome name, that you are not hidden any longer, Lord God, but you have revealed yourself in Jesus. God, that we would know Jesus in a deeper and real way. God, reveal us. Reveal your heart to us in every way that we need to know. We thank you, God, and we praise you and we honour you in Jesus' name. Amen.